Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of DMsplaining, your off-week content from the Gimme the Loot podcast. Hey, so as a reminder, these off-week episodes are rebroadcasts of recordings captured during our live stream shows Thursday at 7.30 Central. Our schedule's been a little bit disrupted for the holidays, so instead of the normal back and forth between DMs, planings, and guest quests, there's going to be a couple episodes that tackle the different feats that have appeared in all the different source books, and we talk a little bit about the rules involved with them and where they kind of sit on our scale. We are going to be changing some things up with our streaming after the first of the year. So to stay current with those updates as they happen, be sure to follow us on Twitch or over on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at GMDLcast on all of those channels. As with everything we produce, our live streams or our campaign episodes are not family-friendly content due to a mix of profanity, fantasy violence, crude humor and gore. And as I mentioned earlier, this is a rebroadcast of streaming, so expect a lot more clicks, clacks, ums, ahs, bits and bobbles, as these are slightly less edited than our regular content. The video for these stay up on the streaming channels for a week or two, but are always available to our Patreon supporters, as well as any additional backup content that we create for a particular episode, like notes or character sheets or NPCs. So to check that out, or to check out all the other cool stuff our Patreon supporters get, head over to patreon.com forward slash GMDLcast. It's mind-blowing. I was looking at it the other day. There's over 100 bonus posts of extra content we've created there that range all the way from an extra podcast to behind-the-scenes stuff to the MVP show, Patreon polls, gear, an opportunity to play with the party. It's a pretty decent list. Check it out. All I want for the holidays is to hit that 20 patron goal so Harlan has to cosplay as Todd. So make it happen, people. And enjoy the rebroadcast of the show. Hey, look at that. It's intro video overtime because we are live. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to a, another episode of DM Splaining. Uh, the D&D Rules Explainer brought to you by the Gimme to Loot podcast, the Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition actual play podcast that is still streaming despite the number of cast members that turned out for this episode. Um, <laughs> we are officially into holiday scheduling time, guys. So while we are going to continue to stream every Thursday night between now and the end of the year, is there a pretty good chance that the stream that happens on Thanksgiving night is just going to be me hopped up on tryptophan and red wine playing Wildermyth for your enjoyment? Probably, <laughs> probably, most likely, definitely. It's just going to be that way. Um, but uh, so uh, this week, uh, Harlan had commitments because it was his wife's birthday. Andrew had holiday travel commitments. Uh, Anthony had, I think, commitments, uh, had a family thing pop up. Jazz is just late. So, you know, fuck that guy. But Jamie was kind enough to make it out for our discussion of feet. There might have also been some concern on Jazz's part that we were talking about feet, feet. And mm. um, while I understand Harland has chicken legs, uh, it's my understanding that uh, Jazz got the chicken feet. So yeah. he may have not wanted that to come up in a professional uh, a setting. So uh, <laughs> joining me for this episode in a singular fashion is... Uh, Jamie, I play Eldrin on the Gimme the Loot podcast, and I'm the only one who decided to show up to work today. So <laughs> it's not work. 
It's a labor of love. <laughs> yes. Uh, ma- mainly because I'm not paying you guys. Um, <laughs> so, uh, guys, uh, real quick, we're, we're talking about feats this, this episode. Um, very specifically going into fifth edition, one of the things that has been uh, that you will hear kind of bandied about and critique of the uh, of the overall edition is that it is lacking somewhat in character character customization. Um, when you look at 3.5 with its skill and feat system and fourth edition, which was pretty much all skills and feats, I'm still trying to figure that one out, gang. Uh, the 5e is a little bit more streamlined in the character, the class abilities that are handed out to you, the species abilities that are handed out to you, and then you you see that expand a little bit through subclasses. So feats are an optional rule, first of all, but they are that element of character customization that comes in um, either at generation, if you pick a human or if you pick a, a customized lineage, um, or as you go throughout, as you level up. So basically, um, per the player's handbook, a feat represents an, a talent or area of expertise that gives a character special abilities and embodies training, experience, and abilities beyond what a class provides. At certain levels, uh, your class gives you the ability score improvement feature. So you, there's a trade-off here. You're having to decide when you hit fourth, eighth, um, depending upon, it's a little bit different for some classes, depending upon where that ASI comes in, um, you can opt to forego taking that feature and take a feat instead. You can only take each feat once, unless there are certain exceptions to that. Um, and you must meet the prerequisite specified in a feat to take a feat. If you ever lose a feat's prerequisite, you can't use that feat until you regain the prerequisite. For example, for example, ugh, the grappler feat requires you have a strength of 13 or higher. If your strength of 13 is uh, reduced somehow, possibly by a withering curse, uh, you can't benefit from the grappler feat until your strength is restored. Um, so we're going to kind of go back and forth through the list and talk about them a little bit, ask questions. Uh, Jamie may ask some technical questions that I'll give completely the wrong ruling on. That's what happens when the uh, Baba, the, the person who actually knows what he's talking about, doesn't show up. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure you guys will point it out uh, if it looks like I am uh, look looks like I'm getting it wrong. Yeah, Jamie is much further north than I am, so it's entirely possible that he is cold i'm i'm uh, actually very cold yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it just decided to it just decided to turn right from like fall to winter this week it's, yeah uh, we, we got chilly uh for the first time this week over the last and it was a very 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 quick turn um and we are still prepping for another ice apocalypse in texas which i know is a mm. tuesday uh in your neck of the woods man but yeah. uh you yeah. know things things shut down pretty heavily here so uh, one thing I do want to kind of touch on in in regards to character customization and feats before we actually get into the the proper kind of back and forth on them. Um, one thing, if you haven't looked into Tasha's Cauldron and everything, or if um, you haven't don't play a lot of fighters, there is a pretty cool section, very specifically in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, that looks at the Battlemaster fighter, which is a very customizable build, and how you can take feats and the customizable aspects of the Battlemaster build to build actual like theory crafting builds. Like it goes in and says, hey, uh, if you wanted to make a brawler, you would pick a Battlemaster fighter, select blind fighting, two weapon fighting or unarmed fighting as your fighting style. Uh, Then you would pick ambush, disarming attack, fanging attack, pushing attack or trip attack as your maneuvers. And then followed up with athlete, durable, grappler, resilient, shield master, ta- tavern, brawler, or tough 
as your feats. To my knowledge, that's really the only class combo right now that exists within current 5e that allows that kind of build customization. Um, certainly your spell loadouts uh, with, with different spellcasting classes and, and multi-classing can create some of that. But it's as somebody who is a, the fan of the fighter as a class that, and, and think it's a kind of a traditionally overlooked class because eh, they don't shoot fucking fireballs. They can they can seem a little bit boring in context. Um, it was neat to see a level of customization that's really not anywhere else in the game right now uh, from uh, specifically within that one subclass build. So. Um, on that note, let's head over to the actual feat listing. There's a bunch of these. We're going to start with the regular feats um, and work our way through those and talk about them a little bit. Um, and we'll kind of flip back and forth. Jamie, if that's cool with you, I'll read one and you read one. We'll talk about them uh, starting with, uh, we'll go alphabetical. We're going to run this for about 60 minutes. Probably guys we will probably do a hard out at 830 because we got some challenge of the challenge ratings to record after this. And um so we may not get through this entire list in the entire uh, entire episode. So uh, starting with the uh, first feed on the list is the aberrant or aberrant, depending upon where you grew up. I grew up in Florida, Texas. I say shit wrong. Uh, drag, <laughs> Dragon Mark. Um, this is very specifically a feat for Eberron. Um, uh, and again, as an optional rule, this is something that probably needs to be discussed in a session zero um, a- as to which feats are allowable or not allowable. Um, if there are any particular feet combinations that need to be concerned about, because that's where you'll get into uh, where, uh, you know, occasionally we hear the term power gaming bandied about. And, and when we look at our optimization, when we do our optimization episode, the role play versus role play, um, that's where you'll see. I mean, Jamie, I think you've done it with Polearm, Master and Sentinel before. Um, I think there are there are feats when you combo them together with class abilities, kind of create a... Um, an interesting opportunity. So um, specifically the aberrant, 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 aberrant dragon mark uh, is from Aberon. Um, it, it, you have manifested an aberrant dragon mark, determine its appearance and the flaw associated with it. Uh, you increase your constitution score to a maximum of 20. Since the feats are a trade-off, sometimes you will see that it would normally occur when you're getting that ability score increase, like at fourth level, you can pick, okay, I want to add two to my, you know, one to my strength, one to my constitution two to my dexterity, wherever that those two points would be spent. Sometimes the feat, if it doesn't, depending upon its power level, may still have a uh, ability score increase baked in. Sometimes it's specific for the feat, like in this one, it only gives you constitution. Other feats we'll see where it gives you a little bit of an option. Yes, Corbe Nikki, I am, I am wearing a Reading Rainbow shirt. Uh, it, is, uh, it is from the ill-fated uh, Reading Rainbow Kickstarter that uh, earned a ton of money, but then uh, LeVar Burton and PBS got into a shouting match over rights, um, killing it. So, <laughs> way, way to go, PBS, for killing a cool show. Um, uh, the, with the Aberrant, Drag- aberrant Dragon Mark, um, you learn a, uh, a cantrip of your choice from the Sorcerer spell list and a uh, first-level spell from the Sorcerer spell list. This is very much kind of mimics some of the Magic Initiate feats we'll see later. And this is one thing that you'll also see kind of that 5e does, I think, do well is provide you options to get other class features into your class without multi-classing. You see that with the um, with the trickster rogue or the um, the arcane fighter. I forget what the exact name is off the top of my head. But there are, will be a couple of different feats that let you cherry pick some class abilities from another class 
without having to go too far afield from from where you're at. Um, when you cast the first level spell, uh, and again, it's not like you get spell slots. You basically get the cantrip, one spell that you get to cast one time, and then you have to take a short or long rest before you can cast it again. Um, when you cast the first level spell through you, Mark, you, you can expend one of your hit dice and roll it. If you roll an even number, you gain a number of temporary hit points to the number rolled. If you roll an odd number, one creature, one random creature within 30 feet takes force damage equal to the number rolled. If no creatures are in range, you take damage. And, and I think uh, dragon marks are a big part of the, the Eberron setting. We're not going to get too deep into there. But I, I do, even just from a non-setting, like the random element to this um, and, and think it's kind of cool. And then uh, you also have a flaw uh, from the uh, aberrant dragon mark because it is, or aberrant dragon mark, uh, because it isn't, um, is it, it's not, it's not, it's not done correctly. It's a bad tattoo, basically. This is a bad magical tattoo. <laughs> it's just a shitty tribal. <laughs> it is a, it's a tramp stamp of doom <laughs> for Rollins and Burbs. So, uh, some, uh, some of those flaws are significantly worse than others, it seems like. Uh, yeah, it's um, some of them. Uh, your mark is a source of constant pain. Um, when you're stressed, <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah, when you're when you're stressed, the mark hisses audibly. Not shitty. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Like that, that, that I, again. That's a lot of that's DM discretion on how much you want. They want to screw you on that. If you're trying to be sneaky, I'm going to say, hey, this is a stressful situation. And oh man, your, your mark is going. <laughs> <laughs> just sounds the like butter, time. butter frying in a frying yeah, pan. <laughs> is that bacon around here? What's happening right now? Oh no, it's a rogue. It's a rogue with an aberrant dragon mark. <laughs> you you have a mood swing anytime you use your mark uh your looks change slightly when you use the mark so yeah there's definitely some some balance questions there and, and <laughs> uh, you know again i think there's some uh there's some option there i think for you to work with your dm if if they're playing with you uh you know uh it, that's one um that is but i mean as a whole is pretty powerful as far as those go i mean it, not only does it give you um, the, the sorcerer cantrip and a first level spell, um, it, which you can't upcast the, the first level spell, but that cantrip will scale. And where you see some of the crazier combinations, like if you take, I think there's, there's one we'll get into that gives you access to a warlock cantrip. You can take that and spell sniper and, you know, a fighter could pick up Eldritch Blast, which is the best scaling damage cantrip and have a ridiculously high range on it. Um, so you can, you can get some not really exploitative combos but some some really powerful combos out of the cantrip side of these um these uh feats that give you access to a cantrip plus a spell um because a cantrip scales even if you don't have the option to upcast the first level spell um I, and i you know frankly that kind of wild magic wild sorcerer aspect of it either heals you or hurts somebody around you um i think is kind of cool as well um, at least it's not healing the other person. Obviously, it's got the uh, mm -hmm. opportunity to punch one of your party members in the face. Um, but, you know, when when has that ever stopped one of you guys before? <laughs> as, as upcoming episodes will certainly illustrate. Oh, shit, as the most recent episode <laughs> illustrates where I think Todd took more damage from y'all than anybody else. So it happens. <laughs> uh, you want to take actor real quick? Sure. Yeah. Next up, we got actor. Uh, it's from the player hand player's handbook. Um and uh, the actor description is uh, skilled at mimicry and dramatics. You gain the following benefits. 
increase your charisma score by one to a maximum of 20. Uh, you have advantage on charisma, uh, deception, and charisma performance checks when trying to pass yourself off as a different person. So that's very specific. Um, yeah. And you can mimic the speech of another person or the sounds made by other creatures. You must have heard the person speaking or heard the creature make the sound for at least one minute. A successful wisdom insight check contested by your contested by your charisma deception check allows a listener to determine that the effect is faked. Yeah. So it was basically, this is the impressionist feed for all intents yeah. and purposes. Yeah. It, this is, and I think we'll see, you'll see as we kind of get into these gang, some of these are much more art role play oriented yeah. or social encounter oriented than purely combat oriented. Um, it's just uh, Bill. Yeah. I love Fay touched. Um, I have used that in a couple of different builds. I am playing a, um, I think a Fay. I think I even took it for um, the the warlock that I'm playing in another podcast that's in pre production, um, just to buff up their their kind of initial um, cantrip options. Um, I, I thought I thought it was I thought it was an interesting one. So I, I, Fay touched I like particularly a lot. Um, and we'll hopefully get in. If we make it to F's, we'll get into that one. Um, I like this one. Yeah, it is very specific that it's, hey, you are uh, you're dressing up useful if you're playing like a spy or if you're you're in an urban campaign um, or if you're a ranger that really I mean, even to a certain extent, you could argue rangers or druids who want to do a lot of animal calls. <laughs> could, mm, that's true. Could use this, uh, you know, the uh, there's a there's an incl a very easy inclination to write some of these particular ones off as um, as. Oh, well, you know, it's not giving me any damage. It's not giving me any hit points. Is this feat worth my time? Um, you still get the charisma bonus out of it, and we'll see that with some of the, the less strategically advantageous feats. But um, for me as a DM, I nothing would excite me more than to have somebody roll up with the actor feat and try and come up with a creative way to use it, um, especially if you comboed it with one of, the, I think, Keen Mind or one of the later feats. Um, it actually has the opportunity to be kind of a fuck you to a DM if you combine it with Keen Mind, which allows you to have total recall. I think um, there's one of them that gives you total recall. So then that um, you could just sit there and record sounds and voices and, and just absorb a number of different identities over a given time period and have them in your back pocket for 30 days. So there's some really, really good Ocean's Eleven heisty opportunities with with uh, characters with the actor feet. I think the uh, fun part of that would be listening to the player try to mimic the sound themselves oh yeah. uh, and oh yeah. just sound terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You would have to require it. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the push and the pull, man. I'll let you try and get away with some janky shit as a DM, but uh, you got to make a, the more, more of a fool you make of yourself doing it, the more likely I am to allow it mm -hmm. uh, because that, that's where our fun comes from. Mm -hmm. um, so next up is alert. Uh, this is a straight up old school players handbook feat. Uh, always on the lookout for danger, you gain the following benefits. Uh, you can't be surprised while you're conscious. Uh, you gain a plus five bonus to initiative. That's pretty good. Uh, and other creatures don't gain advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of being hidden from you. Um, obviously, not bad. Uh, you don't get the stat bonus on this because this is a little bit uh, higher on the power yield. Um, the... I think the one that really has the most potential to be some back and forth on, but also really adds to the strength of it is actually that last one is other creatures don't gain advantage on attack rolls against you as a result of 
uh, being hidden from you, which means an invisible creature isn't going to have advantage. That's pretty um, nice. Uh, if you have blindness or not, not deafness, Moyle, blindness cast on you, um, you won't, you'll still have disadvantage on your attack rolls, but other creatures won't have uh, uh, advantage on attack rolls. So you see there are a number of different status effects that give a opponent advantage by, you know, through the, the auspices of being, um, being invisible or you not being able to see them. Another one, this screws over rogues pretty well as well. So if Todd was trying to hide and jump out and do a sneak attack on you, Nope, he's not going to have advantage on that. Now, Todd being a swashbuckler, different story because he has the uh, rakish Rakish audacity. audacity, But, you know, your average rogue has to have, um, if you're not engaged with somebody, has to have uh, advantage on the attack. One of the ways that they get advantage on the attack is hiding from you. Well, if they don't get advantage because you've got the alert feet, they're not going to get that sneak attack in. So situational. But man, a plus five on initiative doesn't need to be fucking knocked. You know, that's what I mean? pretty good. That's uh, that's not shabby at all. So next up, we cool. got. Uh, let me see what do we got next. So uh, you want to do artificer initiate? Yeah. So artificer initiate is from the Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, you've learned some of an artificer's inventiveness. You can learn one cantrip of your choice from the artificer spell list, and you learn one first level spell of your choice from that list. Intelligence is your spellcasting ability for these spells. You can cast this feat's first level spell without a spell slot, and you must finish a long rest before you can cast it in this way again. You can also cast the spell using any spell slots you have. So you can use both? Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of this one. I'll be honest with you. Um, because it doesn't... Uh, yeah, it gives you a cantrip from the Artificer spell list. Um, it gives you a first level spell choice from that list as well. Um, but yeah. uh, it doesn't... You know, the Artificer spell lists aren't super deep in and of themselves. And... I mean, yeah, there's not a getting, ton of artificer specific stuff that's that great. Yeah, you're not getting a, a stat bonus with this. You're not, um, you're getting proficiency in an artisan's tools, which, yeah. man, I, you know, there are really, you know, that's one of the things that I am still kind of working on a little bit and digging into a little bit more for fifth edition on how to make art, artisan's tools more useful as a DM. There's been additional resources, I think, put out there recently specifically about that. But as a player, certainly you guys don't bust out the brewer's to- tools or the alchemist tools. I, I think you've all got proficiencies in that shit. You don't, don't, don't bust them out. Um, that, I, I don't know, if this had a, um, oh, what the fuck are those things called? We just, we did a whole goddamn episode on artificers and I'm totally blanking on the, uh, not the, not the infusions. Is it oh, infusions? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if this carried an infusion with it, that'd be a different story. But this doesn't the best part of the artificer class. Yeah, this yeah. <laughs> does. This is really just a more limited version of some other feats that we're going to see pop up. Um, we got athlete uh, up next, which is uh, you've undergone undergone extensive physical training and gained the following benefits: uh, increase your strength or dexterity score by one to a maximum of twenty. Um, when you're prone, standing up only uses five feet of your movement. Climbing doesn't cost you extra movement, and you can make a running long jump or running high jump after moving only five feet on foot rather than ten feet. Okay. 
Yeah, again, not a huge fan of this one. Um, does climbing normally just use your, your regular movement speed or is it like, how does that normally work? I don't remember if it's, isn't there like climbing speed, which is separate from movement or something well, like no, that? So if you've got a climbing, like for example, Baba has a right. climbing speed. That's just a different type of movement speed for him, right? So uh, basically climbing and swimming uh, both are like difficult terrain, very specifically mm, okay. uh, from the player's handbook. Do, 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 do. Climbing or swimming, each foot of movement causes one extra foot, um, two extra feet in difficult terrain. So if you're climbing difficult terrain, you're at a third movement. So it does mm. stack unless a, cre unless a creature has a climbing or swimming speed. At the GM's option, climbing a slippery or vertical surface with few handholds. Or if you're a dick like me, and you want to see the mage fail <laughs> on a very simple athletics check, even though there's a rope, uh, your DM could make you uh, require an athletics check. So um, really kind of an underwhelming one, uh, in, in my opinion, even with the stat bonus, you're getting a little bit of a, you know, you're minimizing prone. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, talking shit until the big bad evil guy sets up. Uh, sets up a, an old Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, the, uh, and the, you know, I mean, again, the, if you were able to do a running, a long jump or a, a running high jump with zero extra movement, I think, you know, I think there are a few things that you could tweak this to kind of get this on par, but mm -hmm. not a fan of athlete as a whole. Charger. All right. Charger is uh, from the player's handbook. When you use your action to dash, you can use a bonus action to make one melee attack or to shove a creature. If you move at least 10 feet in a straight line Im immediately before taking this bonus action, you either gain plus five bonus to the attack's damage roll if you choose to make a melee attack and hit or push the target up to 10 feet away from you if you choose to shove and you succeed. You know, I think this one can be a little bit controversial. I, I like it. Obviously, um, you know, you're not getting a stat bonus. Uh, I think this one probably, um, uh, probably will um, give you an opportunity um, to do some cool stuff with it using uh, because it lets basically lets you. It gives you a very limited cunning act for all intents mm -hmm. and purposes. Instead of using dash as a bonus action and then having your regular attack. It lets you use dash and then have a melee weapon attack or a shove attack um, as a as a bonus attack. And then also, if you get um, get some distance behind it, like like a, there are monsters out there with a charge uh, attack, like wild boars, that triceratops that you guys fight in challenge of the challenge rating um, that has that that the extra running distance provides some extra um, some extra um, oomph to its hit. Um, uh, or it can push the target up to 10 feet away from you. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this one, yes, it's very situational. Mm -hmm. But for somebody like Todd, um, if Todd was a fighter instead of a rogue and wanted to run up and run away constantly, this would this would kind of give him an option, especially if you combined it with a feat that allowed you to not be subject to opportunity attacks, um, which, uh, which um, I believe there is one later in this list off the top of my head. So... Um, yeah, guys, sorry. Uh, the I don't know if it's Twitch. I don't know if it's the the restream that's kind of so finicky about the uh, posting stuff in the chat. That's not us. One of the things that's on deck between now and the end of the year is to evaluate our streaming platform and what we're doing. 
and try and get a little bit fancier with some stuff so you guys can have some more fun in the chat and not be yelled at because you used caps or said fuck this fucking fuck. Um, <laughs> so, you know what you do? You know, so you got to save some things for the talent, I guess. Uh, so, uh, you want to take Chef, Jamie? Uh, sure. Chef uh, is from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, the time and effort spent mastering the culinary arts has paid off. You gain the following benefits. Increase your constitution or wisdom score by one to a maximum of 20. Uh, you gain proficiency with cook's utensils if you don't already have it. As part of a short rest, you can cook special food, provided you have ingredients and cooks you cook utensils on hand. Uh, you can prepare enough of this food for a number of creatures equal to four plus your proficiency bonus. At the end of the short rest, any creature who eats the food and spends one or more hit dice to regain hit points regains an extra 1d8 hit points. And then with one hour of work or when you finish a long rest, you can cook a number of treats equal to your proficiency bonus. These special treats last eight hours after being made. A creature can use a bonus action to eat one of those treats to gain temporary hit points equal to your proficiency bonus. That seems pretty good. Yeah, I mean, the I really wish that was healing for that last yeah. piece. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it at level 20, your proficiency bonus is six. Mm. That's not that hot um i you know i like and i don't know if it was just healing i would be okay with it being the proficiency bonus if it's going to be temp hp i want to see it um yeah i hear you i hear you dr econ i hear you um after about six it's this shit starts to get old real fast um the uh, 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 I do like the part of the short rest. Um, you uh, you uh, it's basically kind of giving you a uh, an equivalent of the bard's song of rest. Um, and that's one of the things I think again. And this kind of goes back to what I was talking about at the top of the episode. This is the op- this is mimicking another class's ability to let it be cross customized into another class, and then kind of giving it no pun intended a cool flavor. Um, so it constitution or wisdom, it comes with the stat increase, which, which I like, um, the, the proficiency with the cook's utensils, honest to God, I didn't even know that was one of the artisans, uh, artisans proficiencies it's, is cooking. I got, I am proficient in spatula. Um, uh, I should make Todd take this since he, uh, pretends to be a foodie. Um, and then, uh, the, um, but yeah, I think, I think this one, if they, if they juiced that second point a little bit. And either made it a like a almost like a D uh, you know give it a D six or give it that same D eight yeah that the um that the 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 short rest piece is getting um I think it makes it a little bit makes it a slam dunk um as it is man uh, the plus six temp hit points at twentieth level just uh, is yeah, not great really kind of underwhelming but I like it as a as a as a storytelling element as a um. Uh, as a uh, 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 a um, overall um, character development thing, I love it. Quite frankly, I think there's some cool role play for it. Um, sh- uh, which brings us to crossbow expert. I'm sorry I made you take chef to, for me to get to take crossbow expert, which sounds like a very situational one, but is a, is one that has some weird uh, weird benefits. So, um, it's thanks to your ex- extensive practice with crossbows, you ignore the loading quality of crossbows with which you are proficient. Being five feet of a hostile creature doesn't impose disadvantage on ranged attack rolls, and when you use the attack action with a one-handed weapon, you can use a bonus action to attack with a hand crossbow you're holding. So the 
there are a couple of really cool opportunities that come out of this. Um, the loading quality is is a nice piece. It it you know it's not something that um, gets in the way too frequently, but can prevent you from taking advantage of some multi attack stuff or some or haste or certain things like that under certain circumstances. But um, the the being within five feet of a hostile creature, not imposing disadvantage on ranged attack rolls, includes spell ranged attack rolls um, officially. Uh, so if you are a caster, say if you are an artificer for some reason, uh, and you were going to be up in the mix pretty frequently, this is going to benefit your crossbow shots and is going to benefit any ranged spell attacks that you get with your with your cantrips. So. Um, very specifically, that's made to make this feat more powerful. Um, it was written that way and does probably explain why there's not a stat bonus with it. Um, the other thing, too, is if you've got a hand crossbow, it's a one-handed weapon. And now you've got a hand crossbow that you can ignore the loading effect for. You can now fire your hand crossbow and immediately turn around and fire your hand crossbow a second time as a bonus action. So it's a way of getting effectively two free attacks if you're wielding a hand crossbow. And again, with an artificer, this can really start to sing a little bit as you inf infuse that crossbow and do some cool stuff with it. So um, this is kind of a neat hidden one that I, I discovered it as I was doing one of our roleplay versus roleplays and kind of dug into it a little bit. I was like, oh man, this, um, this fits the artificer very, very, very well. Um, which normally crossbows I would avoid, you know, I'm like, yeah, crossbow, I'm not a big archer guy. So, but that brings us to, uh, Crusher. Yeah. So Crusher is, uh, from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, you are practiced in the art of crushing your enemies, granting you the following benefits. Increase your strength or constitution by one to a maximum of 20. Once per turn, you, when you hit a creature with an attack that deals bludgeoning damage, you can move it five feet to an unoccupied space, provided the target is no more than one size larger than you. And when you score a critical hit that deals bludgeoning damage to a creature, attack rolls against that creature are made with advantage until the start of your next turn. Yeah, so uh, really kind of an interesting one. This is one of a series that came, got added in Tasha's Crusher, Slasher, and Piercer um, that all sound like either 80s Spider-Man villains or uh, jobs <laughs> at the mall. Um, but or, uh, 80s the, wrestlers. Exactly, 80s wrestlers. Uh, Crush. I'm pretty sure Crush was an 80s wrestler. Yes. Um, so you get the stat bonus in there, strength or constitution. Um, the... Uh, the being able to move it or, uh, around does uh, the five feet doesn't sound like a huge deal, but that's intended to combine with other feats and other abilities for you to take advantage of. Um, you know, force force movement can trigger some other effects. It doesn't necessarily trigger other effects. Like if you're using this with booming blade, um, let's say you're you're uh, a warlock or a sorcerer, you cast booming blade. I don't know. Is is I know. Booming Blade is definitely a sorcerer feat uh, or cantrip. I don't know if it's on the Warlock list off the top of my head. Um, and you are you're using a club instead of a, a a sword for whatever reason. You can whack somebody with your club, knock them back five feet as part of casting Booming Blade. And now, if they want to re-engage with you, they have to take that damage to move back up. Um, so those those movement based feats that force movement by themselves, yeah, they have a little bit of a strategic component. Yeah, they have a little bit of a defensive component. If you're a, a fighter that is trying to protect the wizard and you want to push somebody out of melee range for the wizard, um, that's one piece. The, you know, the crit 
Um, attack rolls against that creature are made with advantage until they started. That's a, that's a big benefit when you crit. We're talking about what one in twenty five percent chance that that's going to activate um, at a baseline. When you combine that with other class abilities or feats that broaden your crit range, um, I think the I think one of the fighter I think fighters at one point are critting on eighteen, nineteen, or twenty. Um, that becomes a a lot more of an attractive option. So that's one thing to kind of keep in mind as you look at that, as your crit range expanded expands, and and as some of your other uh, abilities comp that you could combo with these feats become available, it may be worth going back and taking another look at this. Um, I know statistically, Anthony would tell us always take the ability score increase first. But man, I'm a sucker for feats. I, I, anytime I'm looking at those when I'm doing a character a character build, or just because obviously I create characters endlessly for no reason, um, I. I am always more attracted to the feat than just the straight ASI increase um, because there's just, you know, it, it it adds a level of flavor and dimension to the to the character that you're not just getting by adding two to your strength, even though adding two to your decks is probably the right decision in, in those early, early instances, um, which is why I'm a role play instead of a role play care, uh, player. Obviously, generally. obviously, yeah. So... Uh, defensive duelist is our next one. This is a player's handbook one. Um, when you're wielding a finesse weapon with which you are proficient and another creature hits you with a melee attack, you can use your reaction to add your proficiency bonus to your AC for that attack, potentially causing the attack to miss you. Um, I'm sorry, did Dreken? I'm always more attracted to the feet. Turner 2021. Thank you. I'm that's, that's, a, that's our next t-shirt. Our first t-shirt is I'm always more attracted to the feet. Um, take the feats. Um, the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, the ASI always sounds vaguely dirty to me too. When somebody says mm-hmm. it to you, like, man, I'm going for the ASI. I'm like, Ooh, this early in the relationship. That seems like a bold move, man. Um, the, uh, uh, the, so defensive duelist, I don't know, man, I, this one on its surface seems kind of attractive. It, you know, you've got the ability to use reaction to bump up your AC. The challenge is the finesse weapon. Um, your people who are most frequently using finesse weapons, bards and rogues, um, maybe some monks here and there before they go all in on on just being hand to hand. You're already going to have your reaction slotted for a lot of other options. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've got you've got uh, uncanny dodge. Uh, I mean, it's better. It's always better to take no damage than half damage. Um, and and personally, I think. The more I think what makes for a really interesting build a lot of times is how heavily you can stack that reaction box. I mean, bonus actions are cool, but I think if you really target on really loading your characters up with reactions, you'll get some you'll get some intriguing builds as you kind of play around with with what you can do. Um, but uh, the you know, I, I don't it just seems like the the people that would be equipped to take most advantage for this may already have options in that slot. You know what yeah. I mean? Speaking of ASIs. Um, all right. So then that brings us to dual wielder. All right. The dual wielder feat is in the player's handbook. Uh, you master fighting with two weapons, gaining the following benefits. You gain plus one bonus to AC while you are wielding a separate melee weapon in each hand. You can use two weapon fighting, even when the one handed melee weapons you are wielding aren't light. And you can draw or stow two one-handed weapons when you would normally be 
be able to draw or stow only one. So that means you could use like two spears one handed. Like, is uh, that? No, I, yes. Um, so the uh, uh, let's pull up the list of weapons that are are like. I don't know what a heavy one hander is. So. <laughs> um. Yeah. So hang on. Let me go to game rules sources players handbook. Go to the equipment tab weapons. All right, some uh, weapons with the light property, for example, club, um, hand axes, uh, light hammers, sickles are all light weapons. Um, uh, short swords, scimitar, really scimitar? Okay, scimitar. Um, so, yeah, not, not a ton of options in there initially. Um, so mm. what that opens up is... And what you're basically looking at doing here is opening up your offhand attack damage to increase from like usually a 1d6 die base to a 1d8 or higher. So that lets you bring mm-hmm. in like a uh, a longsword or a a oh, uh, okay. uh, good old older editions where you had short swords, longswords, broadswords, bastard swords, and two-handed swords um, <laughs> that went from 1d6 all the way up to 1d12. Uh, we've, we've, we've made things so much simpler in 5th edition. Uh, so... Um, to answer your question, though, yeah, hypothetically, since spears um, are a uh, are a versatile weapon, right? They're not heavy. Um, they um, they've got a base of one d six. So yeah, you could have two spears that you're using as and doing two weapon fighting with in this particular case. Throw one of the spears and then switch over to using the spear two handed. That's probably the most versatile combo way combo way out is because. Spears um, have a 1d6 base damage, uh, have a thrown uh, uh, com- uh, component to them of, with a short range of 20, long range of 60, and then are versatile, which means they can be used two-handed to increase their damage die from 1d6 to 1d8. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I don't think there's, uh, let me see, because there's a few others that have that, that thrown component to it, but I don't know if there's any other thrown versatile weapons on the... Uh, the other one would be tridents. So, mm. yeah, arguably you could be a two trident fighter, which <laughs> I am going to write that down right now because you guys sure as fuck oh, are going to fight fuck. a two. A, some somebody. Some, <laughs> there is a merman with two tridents in y'all's fucking future. Merman oh boy, two because that is too ridiculous not to happen. Double Neptune. Uh, and, and yeah, exactly. Ne- nep- tune. Neptune. Neptune. Yeah, Neptune. Oh my God, you even named him right on the class. Uh, uh, so ne- look look for Neptune coming in Baba's Ark sorry, soon. Sorry about uh, that. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but yeah, I mean, look, like tridents are just fancy spears. Let's be honest. Um, the, the Really, the only difference from them from a game standpoint is tridents for some reason require uh, are considered a martial weapon and require a martial proficiency and a spear doesn't. Um, and that's one thing that the three pointy ends make it harder. That's yeah. What it is. The extra yeah. pointy ends. Um, it's, it's hard to keep track of which pointy end goes in the people. They all do secretly. <laughs> um, so that was <laughs> dual wielder. Um, so generally as a, as a, a, a overall, yes, you get the ability to do, um, increase your offhand damage die up. Um, I, you know, one of the things that 
I think has created a challenge for Rangers in 5th edition is dual wielding used to be a lot more of a challenge to do in older editions. Um, and and we, there was a much higher offhand penalty. I think there were even certain stat requirements for it. The number of weapons you could use were even more limited unless you were a ranger. You're like Rangers were kind of default the class that could use do two-handed fighting um, kind of as a baseline. And it was a real dis- distinguishing component of their class. 5e, it's easy as fuck, as is evidenced by Todd, to be a two-fisted fighter or two-fisted, um, two-fisted character. Uh, yes, that is my favorite scene uh, uh, from Anchorman, uh, Dr. Econ. That escalated quickly. Um, I think you even hear me close out <laughs> the last episode with me saying that, which is a very clear callback to, to that movie. I love Anchorman 1, pure genius. Anchorman 2, why have you failed us? Um, just so bad. So bad. They waited um, too long. That's what it was. Um, yeah, they waited too long to make it good. Um, they, cause yeah. they never did. Like it never actually got interesting throughout the entire episode. Um, the plus one bonus to AC, I think is, is kind of cool. I mean, it's, you know, it's effectively let, let you have a shield and still do offhand attacks. That's not, that's not nothing. Um, all said and done. Um, the, uh, the draw or stow thing is, is funny because it's totally a, um, we watched the matrix. We like firing two guns kind of move. So I don't know. It's, it, it, this really, you know, when it comes down to it, I don't know if you were statting this out that the overall DPS gain from going from a D6 to a D8 in a lot of instances um, justifies burning a feet on two-handed fighting. But holy fuck, man. Two tridents? I, Sounds I, cool. Two tridents? <laughs> if you don't think I'm not making a uh, a warlock, uh, whatever the ocean tentacle warlock is, uh, that Jesus. has this feet and carries around two fucking tridents, I will find a way to make him proficient <clears throat> in martial weapons. Um, on top of that, you, you don't know who you're playing with. Um, <laughs> after dual wielder is dungeon Delver, um, which again, sounds a little dirty, uh, uh, after, alert to hidden traps and secret doors found in many dungeons. Um, you get the, you have advantage on perception and investigation checks made to detect the presence of secret doors. You have advantage on saving throws made to avoid or resist traps. Um, you have resistance to the damage dealt by traps. That um, sounds and nice. <laughs> you can and you can search for traps while traveling at a normal pace instead of only at a slow pace. Um, which, yeah, you know, I mean, honestly, we don't do a ton of dungeon crawls uh, because they are um, they can be a little bit. I, I having played older editions, that's what D and D was. Like it's in the fucking title, Dungeons and Dragons. Like you went to a place. And there was a giant map of interconnected rooms. It was just like a, a old school, you know, JRPG or any video role playing game prior to MMOs where you I go to this place. I walk around this room. I fight monsters. I collect the loot. I leave at the end. The last monster I fight is the most powerful one. Um, this is invaluable in previous editions. And it could be incredibly valuable if you're playing a dungeon crawl oriented campaign. Um, which is something that I, I think is fun to do. I, if you're, but I think really that's, that's I, to me, that's fun to play in person. Like if you're in person and you can get the battle map out or you, if you're fancy and you've got the table with the digital battle maps built into it um, and you're moving little guys around in front of everybody and you're actually can, can it's more of a board game esque feel to it almost. 
Um, and it's a little bit less RP heavy, but the the advantage on finding secret fucking doors is is fantastic. The yeah, advantage we could of, use that at least once, right? <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Um, the uh, the advantage on saving throws to avoid or resist traps also like anytime you can give yourself advantage, you're in great shape. But mm-hmm. then also on top of that, fucking resistance to the damage. You know what I mean? Like that's no joke um, because that's a broad array of damage. It's not again. Again, you guys haven't run up against a ton of traps um you you got you had the kobold pit trap uh which got fate you guys had um even the wizard tower which was kind of the bigger puzzle boxier uh arc that you guys went on wasn't trap heavy you know what i mean it was more it was more puzzle oriented um you took a lot of damage from environmental stuff in there but that was more because you guys couldn't figure out that you landed on a a chessboard or todd did and then i managed to talk him away from it um looking like, no, back at it though like why didn't we look for traps more often <laughs> like it seems like we probably should have been looking for traps <laughs> just because no, don't, don't, don't start now um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well but i mean a lot of that is you guys don't do don't spend a time a ton of time in dungeons you know what yeah. i mean like that's that's really even the witch's house that you went into you i mean yeah todd got his ass kicked by a rug there was that bed, like collapsing bed trap. That's the other one mm-hmm. that, that you guys have probably come up against. Um, that because of so much of what you guys are doing, kind of being out in an environmental interaction, there's less opportunity for them. Um, I can think of, I, I will tell you, two out of the five cast members' arcs will be um, a little bit more interior oriented. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get an opportunity to use a few more. I'll get an Great. opportunity to roll a few more out. I design. Great. Oh, oh, oh. And then, and on that note, um, we've got our first um, join the party session finally coming up next week. And um, there, yeah, uh, it's inside. So there's that too. I'm, I'm not saying there's, I'm not saying there's traps in there. I'm not saying there's not traps in there. Um, and I will be, I got to send some information to Lee and Matt. Um, our Baba level supporters about them. Cause uh, and so for everybody who's listening, if you don't know what that is, um, the, the Baba level supporters quarterly, and we're behind one quarter, um, get to sit down with the party and play a one shot. Um, they're given the choice of, Hey, do you want to play with the cast characters? Like, do you want to play with Todd, Eldrin, Fate in a non canonical one shot? Or do you want to play with the cast members playing different characters in a one shot adventure that will have a impact? on the game world itself and then we'll have an impact on a future episode of the of the podcast uh both lee and matt opted for that second option so next week we'll be sitting down with them and they will be uh they and the party members that participate will be uh doing a odd job for ognum that will either have beneficial or less than beneficial consequences uh when the party ends up back in taliesin um so cool the dungeon delver i like it but again it's campaign situational not necessarily event situational so durable you want to hit durable sure uh durable is from the player's handbook hardy and resilient you gain the following benefits increase your constitution score by one to a maximum of 20 and when you roll a hit die to regain hit points the minimal the minimum number of hit points you regain from that roll equals twice your constitution modifier minimum of two um yeah, not a huge fan. To be yeah, honest, not great. Um, you get the con, you get the combo. And again, as you'll see with some of the more the 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 less practical ones, 
you know, and part of it is I'm an older generation player. I'm old. First of all, I'm fucking old. (laughs) Had a birthday this month. I'm even older. Um, I'm going to get even grumpier and, and, uh, surlier. Um, and, um, the, uh, you know, short rests are still a new thing to me. You know what I mean? Like it's one of the things that wasn't really a component of the previous editions that I played. Thank you, Corby and Nikki. Um, it, so it's any abilities tied to that really to me are still like, I like the short rest mechanic a lot. Actually, I, I do. You rest for an hour. You've got the hit by dice pool. You can burn the hit dice, the bard, uh, the bard song of rest, I think. And there are other abilities that buff that I think are overall really cool. I just, um, I also, I think it introduces a really cool element for like the sorcerers and warlocks and monks who get resource regeneration during a short rest. But man, twice your constitution, when you roll a hit dice, the minimum number of hit points you regain from the roll equals twice your constitution modifier. I guess if you have a really beefy con, like if you're a barbarian and you've got that con mod loaded up to like three. So that means the minimum number of hit points you could regain from the roll equals would be six. So like I go into a short rest, I know I'm going to get at least six hit points back plus my con mod, which I already know is three. So that's nine. Um, for ah, you know i'm talking myself into it a little bit for for (laughs) barbarians um but unless you've got a really beefy constitution mod this just doesn't really sing but if you're a barbarian and you're going to be taking a lot of short rests because you're going to be out in front taking a lot of hits because you're the tank um then maybe this has got some some mojo to it um to me it just seems like there are other more beneficial ones that you can dip into um Eldritch Adept, this is the one that I talked about earlier, and this is one of the Adept, um, oh, well, this is loading up real fucking slow. Um, uh, studying occult lore, you've unlocked the Eldritch power within yourself. This is a Tasha's, uh, Tasha's feat. Um, you learn one Eldritch invocation option of your choice from the Warlock class, if it's got a prerequisite. And then very interestingly, you can switch it out every time you level up with a different invocation. Um, on a whole, invocations can be kind of a mixed bag, and we won't. That's probably a deep dive in and of itself when we talk about the war, warlock class, even within the warlock class. But one, um, I think this writes gets right what the artificer initiate got wrong, right? Um, it gives you the cool portion of the uh, of the class, um, and two, it lets you change it up. You know what I mean? Like I, I uh, that Fey warlock that I play on roll for what. Um, is just just got their first eldritch invocation and uh i pick like mask of a thousand faces or whatever which lets me cast this guy's self at will um and, and from a role play perspective um it lets me constantly look like i'm dressed super fancy which he doesn't like but he can't turn it off um but i have actually used it and because the dm allowed me this is a little bit of a, a creative use of the spell but um we were trying to run down a murderer and I use the disguise self spell as kind of like a character sketch artist. Like, okay, I'm going to start looking at this. Okay, would my nose be bigger or smaller? Okay, what I have? And, and I basically character sketched what a witness thought the murderer looked like <laughs> using this disguise. Because That's I can just keep good. casting it and releasing it and casting it and releasing it. So there are some that are very RP oriented. There's one that like gives you, like th- that would be completely useless unless you had the Eldritch um, Blast uh, cantrip because it gives you a... 600 yard range um also if you're a world interestingly enough if you, you would think that mo- oh okay well non-warlocks would take this if you were a warlock 
this just gets you an extra invocation, which is kind of cool. And in that particular case, you could take the prerequisite and then boom, tag in and get, you you could actually get some of the higher level stuff with this and add on to it. So it's a way to not just mix, uh, mix your class features, but beef up the volume of class features that you get. Um, uh, Eyes of the Rune Keeper, which lets you read our writing. Yeah, Saga, I agree. There's, I, I'm just now getting into Warlocks. Um, sorcerers, I don't know, Sorcerers haven't won me over yet, but I'm really digging some of the stuff on the Warlock side of things. So much so that I che- apparently cheated on the roleplay versus roleplay where I wasn't <laughs> present with my Warlock build, even though I swear I said sixth level. But, you know, we're not gonna, we're not gonna hang on to that. Um, you want to hit uh, Elemental Adept. Sure. Uh, Elemental Adept is from the Player's Handbook. There is a prerequisite, which is that you have to have the ability to cast at least one spell. Uh, When you gain this feat, choose one of the following damage types. Acid, cold, fire, lightning, or thunder. Spells you cast ignore resistance to the damage of the chosen type. In addition, when you roll damage for a spell you cast that deals damage of that type, you can treat any one one on a two... Sorry, any one on a damage die as a two. Um, And then you can select this feat multiple times. Each time you do so, you must choose a different damage type. Yeah, not the biggest fan of this one. Um, If you you also got resistance to that damage type, then it might Mm. be a little bit overpowered. But I, I, you know, you one, it doesn't have the stat bonus for the level of specificity that it's got. Um, two, I mean, God, you know, yeah, maybe if you found yourself like, oh, I'm a wizard that specialized in, uh, who's going to be adventuring up North and uh, I have ice spells (laughs) and all I have is ice spells. Yeah. Well then, okay. Well, you knew you were playing an ice fucking campaign. Why did you specialize in ice magic? I mean, again, that almost seems like I really want to go out of my way to, to do it. Um, you know, the, the, the treating any one on the damage die as a two, um, has got a little bit of a flavor of, I think, the Great Weapon Fighter. But I think the Great Weapon Fighter, and we're going to check it because I don't fucking care. I don't care if this is live. I'm going I'm to edit this pause out when I rebroadcast, and I'm going to sound like I knew this shit right off the rip. Let me take a look at this real quick. Game rules, fighters, classes. And I think this is what, I think if it had this element on the great archery, Great Weapon Fighting... Where's this at? Yeah, so when you roll a one or two of damage on the die attack with your wielding, you can re-roll it and must take the new roll. So if it if it used the great weapon fighting rules, where if you rolled a one or a two, you got to re-roll the damage um, and take and you had to take the second number, I think that's cool. I think that's I think that's a good way to take the element of another class and apply it to a much more situational element um, without being completely unbalanced. You know what I mean? Right. Um, because you could still roll that to another time i mean yeah it could it could add up pretty quickly but god i mean again you're doubling the one to a two is is not great well you would actually re-roll in that case so let's say i'm rolling yeah, a no no but in, yeah. in this case doubling the one yeah. to a two no is it's just... it's it's not great um so yeah i mean if 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 i'm a wizard and i get to re-roll my damage when i roll ones or twos then i think um i think i i, I take a look at this and, and one thing guys i will i will say with um uh, with with any of these, talk to your DM. If like you know, uh, you know, the, the, there are um, certainly with us because I'm still learning Fifth Edition. Um, the podcast campaign is like the first full, full, full campaign I've run in Fifth Edition. Um, I uh, do a, did a home game for a while with my wife and kids. 
Um, they, we are on kind of hiatus from that right now because they got, they got a little bit burned out with it and wanted to play some board games on game night instead, which was cool. Um, uh, the, uh, and, and then I've got, um, a, I ran a very like five minutes of Theros campaign, um, it's into prep for the podcast just to kind of get my, my feet wet doing it again. Um, but you know, as, even as a newer DM to 5e, I'm flexible with stuff. And, and I think you, I think you can always engage with your, um, with your DM and say, Hey man, this seems kind of underpowered. This is my intent with it. This is the story. And here's the hook with any dungeon master. Here's the story el- telling element that it plays into like, Hey, I really want to be a hardcore lightning obsessed artificer. I want to pick up this feat. Um, but it's kind of underpowered as is. Can I, can I make it be more reflective of the great, or the, 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 the great weapon mast, great weapon fighting? Um, deal because again that's that's clearly got a level of balance to it this is still even way more situational than that because i guarantee you that that fighter is swinging with that sword a lot more frequently than you're casting fire fireball um that the one thing the one thing i think that you would need to in a balanced situation and that is to limit it to spells and not cantrips um and, and in this case even though it says spells you cast i would i would actually say automatically like yeah this should cover cantrips even though it doesn't specifically say spells or cantrips so, uh, Faye touched. All right, cool. All right, gang, I'm going to ask y'all since, uh, I, I said we would kill this thing at eight 30, but we, uh, we have a maximum time limit of 90 minutes. Uh, so I'm gonna throw this to the chat. Are y'all digging this? You want us to keep going or we're on F we can squeeze a few more out of these before we, we call it a night. Y'all are still here. So I should just assume that you're, you're still interested, but leveled spells only i like that cool saga now okay we're gonna keep going if that's cool with you jamie until uh jazz shows up um so Faye touched yeah this is one of my favorite new feats out of tasha's um just because the fact that it's Faye touched instead of it's it's another elemental or, or spell casting adept um spell casting adept uh 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 cat uh, for um uh, uh, for all intents and purposes, um, your exposure to the Feywild's magic has changed you and granted you the following benefits. You pick your intelligence, wisdom, or charisma, uh, increase it by one to a maximum of tw- 20. Uh, you learn Misty Step and uh, one first level spell of your choice. Um, the first level spell must be from divination or enchantment. Um, you can cast each of these spells without expending a spell slot uh, uh, once per long rest. Um, and then you can also cast these spells using spell slots of the uh, of the appropriate level if you're a, a spell casting class. Um, really like this one. Misty Step is cool. I mean, one, it's got a cool um, it's got a cool flavor to it um, because it's it's all about the Feywild. It, it plays well with um, the and look, Misty Step is an incredibly fucking even if you can just do it once a day or once a long rest. Being able to teleport, like I'm a huge Nightcrawler fan. And being able to bamf is always going to be, and not movie Nightcrawler. I'm sorry, movie Nightcrawler. Even <laughs> not the terrible uh, Age of Apocalypse Nightcrawler, which was slightly better than the original Nightcrawler, but like comic books, Excalibur Nightcrawler, like Excalibur yeah. Nightcrawler, Jim Starlin Excalibur Nightcrawler is peak Nightcrawler. The cross time capers of Excalibur is just an incredible run of of comics. Um, the um so yeah i like this i like this one a lot i think it's got cool flavor i think it gives you some multi-class 
ing without having to really multi-class, it still fucking still carries a stat bonus with it, even though you're getting um both a uh he did have nice feet. He had three uh, toes. He's got the three toes and prehensile. Yeah. Very important yeah, to remember. Like prehensile the, feet. The claw uh, toe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on there. Uh so um big I uh, really like this one a lot. Have used it in multiple builds uh uh recently. Um uh so uh fighting initiate all right oh load load okay uh fighting initiate is from tasha's (laughs) from tasha's cauldron of everything uh there's a prerequisite which is that you have to have proficiency with the martial weapon uh and your martial training has helped you develop a particular style of fighting as a result you learn one fighting style option of your choice from the fighter class if you already have a style the one you choose must be different whenever you reach a level that grants at the ability score improvement feature you can replace this feats fighting style with another one from the fighter class that you don't have don't like that part of it you know what i mean um i think if I don't know, man. It's hard for me to see a good spot for this one because um, I'm going to weigh it against the warlock. Like there, there are mm-hmm. there's so much flexibility with that warlock one, which is a very similar one. The warlock one you get to switch out at every level. This one you get to switch out much less frequently. Um, and I mean, yeah, there's some cool fighting styles. Archery gives you a plus two to attack rolls. Um, defense gives you a plus one AC dueling plus two bonus to damage rolls uh the aforementioned great weapon fighting um two weapon fighting um so i I mean very specifically you're not getting a maneuver like a battle master maneuver although i think there is a feat that will grant us that later on you're just you're getting an extra fighting style and while those are cool i i think really they don't really start to sing until you start to combine them together with other fighter class abilities. And, um, the, um, the, uh, yeah, you know what, uh, meta magic adept is, is something that we, uh, we have implemented recently. Um, not to be a spoiler, but, uh, there's, there's a meta magic, meta magic adept, uh, deal coming up, uh, in the podcast at some point. Um, the, uh, um, I don't know. It just, it does like if, if the only person I could really see, or the person I would see benefiting the most from this would be either a paladin or a ranger that have a limited access to the, to the number of fighting styles that they get in the first place and are looking to buff that up, or a, a fighter who wants to add to their existing fighting style. And when you weigh that against the other feats that they could pick up to hone in more specifically with their fighting style, it just it just doesn't feel like it has a place with some of the other stuff. Uh, Gift of the Chromatic Dragon. This is a brand new one from um, Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons, um, which uh, it's you've manifested some of the power of Chromatic Dragons, granting you the following benefits. Um, as a bonus action, you can touch a simple or martial weapon, a Chromatic Infusion, sorry. As a bonus action, you can touch your, your weapon and infuse it with one of the following damage types, acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison. For the next minute, the weapon deals an extra 1d4 damage of the chosen type when it hits. Um, after you use this bonus action, you can't do it again until you get a long rest. Um, and then reactive resistance, uh, when mm. you take acid, cold, fire, lightning, or poison damage, uh, you can take you can use your reaction um, to give yourself resistance to that instance of damage. 
you can use this reaction equal to uh, a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Um, that's that's kind of a lot, mm. you know. Um, the the reactive resistance, especially being tied to frequency um, one, it doesn't require you to declare which one of these you're doing when selecting the feet, which is kind of interesting. It's not like you have to say, I have a griff gift of a white chromatic dragon, and now you're locked into having cold. It very specifically is, hey, man, whichever one you pick um, at that particular time. Um, so as written, it gives you access to all of those, those options, which is really strong. Um, it gives you the option to effectively get like a mini hunter's mark damage for a full combat because a minute is a combat generally um and uh uh god yeah 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 saganada you're our our honorary line judge when it comes to uh when it comes to these things when bob is not present because you uh you 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 know your shit sir we we have seen that kind of come out uh and also again i know i said it on the last podcast but big shout out to matt dave for when he was guest dming our um our our uh, our tournament being able, like, like using passive perception, uh, or yeah, passive perception correctly. I was like, fuck, man, that's a rule I always forget. And that guy just just pulled it right out of his pocket uh, <laughs> when uh, when the roll for what guys were trying shenanigans. Good job, buddy. Uh, I was super impressed. Um, uh, so yeah, this one I think is you know, and you will see this, and you'll see this with a lot of systems and I haven't done a deep dive on the Fizzband stuff yet. We'll take a look at some of these feats obviously as part of this walkthrough, but you, you tend to see power creep in systems as you add more and more and more source books to them. Um, uh, you guys have heard me mention riffs before, which is the classic example of power creep in a game system where uh, when you start, when the first books came out, like the average damage die for a gun was one D six by the fifth book, it was one D six times 10. Um, it just got, it got fucking ridiculous. And that's, that, that's an, a batshit insane game as, as it, it about probably one of the most nineties books ever. Um, so yeah, this one's absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely worth taking, especially for, um, for a fighter or for a kind of hexblade warlock with this. seems like that could synergize real well with, um, some of the other additional melee stuff that they've got. Uh, they've got built in. Um, you know, do Gift of the Gem Dragon? Sure. Uh, Gift of the Gem Dragon is also from the Fizzbands Treasury of Dragons. Uh, you've manifested some of the power of the Gem Dragons, granting you the following benefits. Uh, you get an ability score increase. Uh, you can increase your intelligence, wisdom, or charisma by one to a maximum of 20. And you get telekinetic reprisal. When you take damage from a creature that is within 10 feet of you, you can use your reaction to emanate telekinetic energy. That creature, <laughs> the creature that dealt damage to you must make a strength saving throw. Uh, DC equals eight plus your proficiency bonus plus the ability modifier of the score increased by this feat. Uh, on a failed save, the creature takes 2d8 force damage and is pushed up to 10 feet away from you. On a successful save, the creature takes half as much damage and isn't pushed. You can use this reaction a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all the expended uses when you finish a long rest. Yeah, this one's interesting. Um, one, you got a stat bonus, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a damage-dealing ability that's tied to 
that the frequency is tied to your proficiency bonus. If this is like a once a day thing, I think it's probably a little less attractive. But the fact that, I mean, that it's tied to your proficiency bonus, that's, that's, that can be a lot. That can be a lot. Um, and, you know, it's a little mini hellish, uh, hellish rebuke. And it's got, um, and it's got the, um, the, the push is interesting as well. So I think um, if you're a one of the Psy classes that um, uh, are built into Tasha's, like the Psy Warrior or Psy Rogue, or I don't know, is there a Psy Wizard? I can't remember if there was a Wizard version uh, of uh, from uh, subclass. Um, I think that's where this this probably is gets gets the most interesting. I think obviously you got to be a melee class really to take the most advantage of it, um, especially if you're you're stacking it up in frequency. But yeah, I could see a Psy Warrior. Um, really getting in there, taking this feat, and then kind of and kind of stacking on top of it. Um, is it the best psychic feat to take? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll get into that. Uh, burr, 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 burr. Uh, Gift of the Metallic Dragon. Uh, Draconic Healing. You learn the Cure Wounds spell. Uh, you cast this spell without expending a spell slot, um, basically once per long rest. Um, you can use uh, spell slots if you got them. Uh, spellcasting abilities, intelligence, wisdom, or charisma. When you cast it with the feet, choose when you gain the feet. Um, you manifest protective wings that can shield you or others. When you or another creature you see within five feet of you is hit by an attack roll, you can use your reaction to manifest spectral wings from your back for a moment. Uh, you grant a bonus to the target's AC uh, equal to your proficiency bonus against that attack roll, potentially causing it to miss. Uh, what? Okay. Uh, you can use this reaction a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Uh, you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Um, it's okay. I mean, the, the, an extra cure wounds is always nice, especially when you got a, he, a cleric that doesn't heal. Um, the, I don't know, man. I'm not sold on the protection on this one. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's yeah, so just, it's just like that other feat. Uh, it's the same thing, right? Yeah, so you think about it. So first through fifth, uh, first through fourth level, your proficiency bonus is plus two. Then it goes, then you know, in the blocks of five, and then it goes to three or four. I, you know, just adding two to somebody's AC does not seem like a big enough, um, a big enough defensive opportunity, especially when weighed against other feats that give you the also an ability to boost somebody's AC. Um, or, or defend somebody or move or, you know, even swap places with them in certain instances. I don't know. Um, I mean, the cure wounds is nice. It's once a day. You can't upcast it unless you're already a spellcaster. Um, you know, maybe if you're a wizard and you really want to have access to cure wounds, uh, it feels like there are other, uh, feats that you can take. I don't know. The other two of the dra- the Fizzband ones looked fucking phenomenal. This one, I would have to really kind of tinker with to see, where it where it works because again also it's it's you somebody within five feet of you that you're shielding so i don't know yeah i agree so even at at, um the plus five when you can it just because it's just as your as your ability modifier is scaling up so are the monsters that are fighting you so that you know while plus five to ac sounds good (laughs) at uh at, at uh at 13th level um Really, most of the monsters you're fighting at that point are plus seven to hit. So, best you're you know you're negating most of a bonus. I don't know. It um, two out of three ain't bad. Fizzman, two out of three ain't bad. Uh, you want to hit grappler? 
the grappler is from the player's handbook. There is a prerequisite. You have to have a strength of 13 or higher. Uh, you've developed skills necessary to hold your own in close quarters grappling. You gain the following benefits. You have advantage on attack rolls against a creature you are grappling. And you can use your action to try and pin a creature grappled by you. To do so, make another grapple check. If you succeed, you and the creature are both restrained until the grapple ends. Yeah, um... Restra- Seems a very special case, like... Well, I'll tell you where this... I'll tell you where this appeals <sighs> to me. First of all, restrained isn't the greatest status effect. Uh, basically, their speed is zero. They can't move. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage. Attack rolls... Uh, the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. Um, and the creature has disadvantage on dexterity saving throws. If you were just providing that or just inflicting that status effect. Okay, let's talk. Um, but that you also have it a little bit less, a little bit less juicy. Um, mm. Where I think it's, um, where I think it get, can get kind of sexy is with monks. Okay. Yeah. So exit grapple pin. Yep. Saganadal's already, uh, already ahead of me. Uh, way of the hand open monk with this is amazing. That's exactly where I was going. Because monks can just, get redonk with the number of attacks they get even at low levels uh even before they burn a key point but especially once they burn a key point you can do exactly that grapple pin and make two melee attacks i I would argue it's even worth not pinning potentially and because with the grapple you have you've got advantage on your attack rolls um without in uh incurring the the penalty of being restrained yourself Mm. So yeah, it's less beneficial to your party members, but if you're if you're solo focusing it, um, but yeah, with monks, this is this has got some really cool potentials. Um, I don't. I, it's hard for me to see another unarmed. Like, like there is an unarmed fighter build in Tasha's kind of in that 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 brawler build, blind fighting, unarmed fighting, uh, then ambush, disarming attack, fainting attack, pushing attack, trip attack. Uh, this is one of the feats built with that. I, I don't. I don't know how well that works for fight. It seems like that extra attack is where it gets um gets uh, oh yeah, your advantage yeah, you're right, your advantage negates the penalty against that person, but if they've got friends, you you now potentially have they your their his friends potentially have disadvantage against you. That's where that's where I get I mean it's a judgment call if you're one on if you're fighting a single monster, I think the pin is worth it if you're fighting a, a mob. Um then uh and the reason my brain works that way as the party of five levels up and gets more powerful i'm like how do i come up with ways to destroy their <laughs> advantages i'll throw lots of little guys at them um that's where uh that kind of that kind of comes into it so that's un- unfortunately that's dm brain at its worst um <laughs> great weapon master who did the last did you do grappler or did i do grapple? i don't even remember I think, I think i did we're getting pretty close to calling because i can't remember who read the last one uh, you learn uh, how to put the weight of a weapon to your advantage, letting its momentum empower your strikes. You gain the following benefits once per turn. When you score a critical hit with a melee weapon or reduce a creature to zero hit points with one, you can make one melee weapon attack as a bonus action. Um, before you make a melee attack with a heavy weapon that you're proficient with, you're, you choose to take a minus five penalty. And if you hit, add plus 10 damage. So Sniper... The feat that I dread Eldrin taking has a similar component of that. Hey, I'm going to take that to hit penalty um, to do the plus 10 attack damage bonus. 
quite frankly, how easy it is to stack bonuses in 5th edition, that's almost always a guaranteed plus 10, man. It is, uh, <laughs> it is, um, that 10 fucking damage stacks up real goddamn fast, especially when you take in, um, other, other bonuses to effect. Um, what's, what I think is interesting with this is the first, uh, rules as written on the first component of this feat doesn't require the, the great weapon. It just says when you, score a crit with a melee weapon or reduce a creature to zero hit points with one, you get a bonus action oh, yeah. melee attack. So um, obviously if it's aimed at people who are fighting with two-handed weapons to say, hey, I know you see Todd over there constantly stabbing people with multiple short swords, but you get to have some fun when you hit people with your, your great axe as well. Um, but um it's not limited to great weapons. Now, the second feat is tied to, in fact, like, hey, you got to do the minus five plus ten. It's got to be a heavy weapon, um, which uh, are, are like your great swords, your great clubs, your great axes. There's a lot of greats in that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, so um, I like this one. I mean, again, if you're specifically doing a two-handed weapon fighter, I mean, if you're going for the big beefy weapon build, um, I like uh, I like this guy. Um I'm the middle child, Dr. Econ. That's where all my issues come from. I don't, uh, I don't have a, um, I don't have a twin. Uh, that is, that is the ghost of my parents' expectations. Um, uh, so, uh, let's see, let's see where we're at. And I think we're going to, uh, yeah, let's finish up the G's. You want to round us out with Gunner there? Sure. Uh, if it wants to load, come on. Gunner. Any day. Okay. Uh, Gunner is from Tasha's. Uh, you have a quick hand and keen eye when employing firearms, granting you the following benefits. Increase your dexterity score by one uh, to a max of 20. You gain proficiency with firearms. Uh, you ignore the loading property of firearms. And then being within five feet of a hostile creature doesn't impose a disadvantage on your attack rolls. So this is basically crossbow. Right. Uh, expert um, with with guns, which, number one, your DM has to allow guns. Um, it trades the bonus action attack for a stat increase. Um, I kind of would rather. I mean, honestly, when we looked at doing artificer builds, it's like, do I want to make a guy with the gunner feet or and I was like, man, no, nah, that bonus. I, to me, the bonus action attack is way more fun than the stat <laughs> increase. Um, and, uh, you know, sure, statistically, the stat increase may be the smarter move, but I, I, you know, sometimes it's, you know, how much fun you can have with it. I just, I don't know. I just don't see, I mean, yeah, you get the added benefit because again, similar to crossbow expert, it's not just gun attacks, it's ranged attack rolls. So it's, it's a universal, um, negation of the close range disadvantage, but I don't know, man. Um, this almost seems like something a, a dick DM would do if they're like, hey, I'm going to put guns in the campaigns, but I'm going to make you get a feat to use them. Mm. That's kind of an asshole move, man. If you're going to put guns in your campaign, you can let the players have them. Yeah. I mean, otherwise don't put them there. I mean, I, I specifically gave Todd the option to have a gun back in, I think episode six, um, mainly because with firearms in D and D, there are misfire rules that can be potentially explosive. And yes, I wanted Harlan to blow himself up at least once for the sake of the show. Um, he still but can. He, still he can. managed to be such an asshole. I had, I was like, you understand, you're being such a dick. 
You're taking this away from, you're taking away you exploding like fucking Elmer fucking Fudd when you crit fail after doing a backflip onto the back of a toad's ass. That, that's what, that's what this the, lost it to. It did give us the Todd and the art of the deal meme, uh, which uh, <laughs> I, I am a big fan of. Um, but uh, I think on that note, I think we'll wrap this one up, guys, which uh, the good news is, bad news, we didn't get through all the, the uh, feats. The good news is, that means we've got a real easy DM explaining topic for another month in the future. I don't think we'll do it. I don't think we'll v- revisit feats next month. Um, next month going into December, it may just be me when we get back around. If it is just me, it's going to be me singing D&D themed parody Christmas songs and Hanukkah th- <laughs> songs. And, uh, you know, atheists, we don't celebrate Festivus. Uh, I'll, I'll come up with some a- atheist jingles and D&D meme for for you guys if nobody else shows up to the next dm explaining um but obviously we appreciate y'all coming out and hanging out with us um for a, a overview of the feats um we i you know i again i do think it is i think there's some really cool stuff that you can do with them um for 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 me i am always more attracted to the feat than the ability score increase and i think if you were if you wanted to juice up the campaign a little bit and and give your your players more character customization options let them pick the feats more frequently you know what i mean instead of go every other level instead of every every four levels and you know just again have some conversation with them like guys that doesn't mean you get everybody picks the most optimized feat every other um every other uh every other round what we're um what we're doing with the pentahedron um, the pentahedron, and it's been, I think you guys will start to see more of this rhythm as we get into the second and third arc, um, has two upgrades per tier. It's got a, uh, a secondary minor upgrade and then a beefier, um, more substantial upgrade that carries a disadvantage with it. Um, so look, there you go. It, you know, let them have some extra feats, but give them some disadvantages that go with it. Kind of like that aberrant, aberrant. I'm never going to fucking say aberrant or aberrant, right? I'm just never going to get it right. Fuck y'all for making me try. At least I don't say necro. At least I say necromancer now instead of democracer. So um, my brain uh, reads things the wrong way sometimes, and it takes years for me to get them out. So, um, but anyway, thanks for joining us, gang. Uh, bear with us as we get through the holiday content. I will tell you, we actually finished our last campaign recording last no two weeks ago, um, and we are one hundred percent focused on getting ahead on bonus content between now and the end of the year. Um, both with Hunter's Parties, uh, lore releases, um, the challenge of the challenge ratings. We want to try and get as much of that stuff built out so we can be a little bit more consistent on our release schedule. October was a slower month on bonus content than I would like. I'm going to try and get some catch up with that done in November as I take a day off or two from my my job a job. Um, And we appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us on that. Um, We actually won't record our next campaign campaign session um, until... Uh, probably until January, Jazz is going to come in and DM because um, Moyle's had his boss battle. Moyle has finished his his arc. Um, he's still on the show. Uh, he uh, uh, the Jazz is going to come in and do a canonical two shot, um, and then uh, I will pick. We'll pick back up with Baba's arc in the new year. I'm also going to desperately do my best to grind out some extra episodes or bigger episodes between now and the end of the year. Um, the episodes that we are currently releasing, we recorded all the way fucking back in June and July. Um, in fact, that whole arc, the folder I've got that I'm saving my DM notes in is called Swamp Boy Summer. Um, and we are uh, just feeling the first kisses of of winter now. 
dirty, sloppy, wet kisses of winter. And um, I'd like us to be a little bit closer to releasing than what we're playing. Because it's just one, it's hard for me not to fucking talk about it um, and constantly spoil shit. And, and for real. two, um, <laughs> I don't know, man. It just feels like we, it just feels so far away from what we've done. I, I mean, everybody has, it's funny because the, the stuff that we're, I'm editing and releasing now, everybody has upgraded their equipment since then <laughs> and or recording environments. And I'm like, Jesus, when I listen to like the Hunter's Party, the, the like Anthony's working on a mic now instead of a headset. Harlan's got a mic. We are really teaching him very hard how to use it. Um, he still, still does this number sometimes when he's on mic. Sometimes. This is what happens when you don't show up to the show, guys. I get, I get to talk shit about you to the, to the, to the listeners. Um, uh, we'll wrap this one up. Um, and uh, uh, th- uh, once again, thank you guys for coming out and joining us. Jamie, thank you for um, hopping in and uh, being the trooper. Uh, yeah. to, to read from the various books of D&D with me um, and hope y'all enjoyed the show. 